Hey, good morning, Axis Church. How we doing? Hey, last week, Andrew got us rolling into this new series called Survivor. And just out of curiosity, who used to watch the show Survivor? Anybody used to like tune in every week to Survivor? Okay, now here's the real question. Does anybody still watch Survivor? It's okay. I just want to, okay, there's some stills. I didn't even know the show was still going. Or like, we're going to do the Survivor series. I'm like, I, I need to like check this out. The show is still going. And so if you used to watch the show, you kind of understand the concept of it. And this is kind of the same concept of our series as what we've been doing is, you remember like the tribal council and all that? Each week there'd be like the tribal council. It'd be all intense and they'd have like the tiki torches and then somebody inevitably get voted off the island. And this was sort of the premise. And so during this series, what we've been doing is we've been talking about harmful tendencies. We've been talking about these things that really can be opponents of our life. And we've been one by one voting them off the island. All right. So last week, Andrew uh, voted stress off the island. He also shared some great stories of times when stress had sort of surfaced in his own life. And so I wanted to give you an example as we kind of got started here. We're talking about anger this week. I want to give you an example of a time when anger surfaced for a local news anchor. Take a look. That many of you are still at home, but if you are heading out this weekend, there is some weekend construction you need to be aware of. Our new traffic anchor, Anavid Reyes, has a look at this weekend's traffic. Yes, Veronica, we are out here live. We're at exit 57 on I-24 East. If you're looking at traffic, don't expect too many delays. As you can see out here, things look to be moving along just fine. Over my left shoulder, you can see some minor road construction in the area, but that hasn't affected things much this morning. And oh, by the way, just real quick, my name is pronounced Anavid, not Anavid. So if I'm gonna come out here and do these live traffic reports, and literally risk my life. I'd appreciate it if somebody back in the studio could learn how to pronounce my name. Oh, I'm sorry. You got it, Anavid. Yeah. And what's it look like southbound? I mean, just like in the grand scheme of life, think about what we're doing right now. I'm doing a live traffic report on television. This traffic report is going to be obsolete in three minutes. I mean, I know I have a report that there's tra there's construction in the area, obviously, as you know, but there's a wreck about a mile ahead and so this is going to be all this traffic is going to be changed in literally about 60 seconds so it uh it looks like you've got an inside source on that wreck have you been in contact with the police chief have i talked to the police chief uh no i have not i've actually just literally looked on google maps and every time you guys send me out here for a live traffic report i literally just look on google maps oh look traffic i look on google maps and report to you what i see here and i don't know if you guys knew this back at the station but every person in America has access to this. Well, it looks cold, and it sounds like you may have woken up on the wrong side of the bed. Too. Yeah, I don't know, or woken up on the wrong side of the bed, or most people are still in bed because no one's watching the local news for traffic. Like, in terms of figuring out the best route to work and traffic patterns, I can think of, off the top of my head, 57 other ways to do this more efficiently. Google Maps, Apple Maps, Bing Maps, my Uncle Ricky still has a TomTom. You can plug the address into that. I don't know, uh, go to a truck stop and rent a CB and talk to one of these truck drivers. He could probably tell you a better way to know what the traffic is. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out why. Thank you, Anavid. His last day on the job. Actually, to be honest with you, that's a local com or a, uh, comedian named John Chris, and I just thought that was great. Have you ever wondered, like, just like, have you ever wanted just to say what you really think? You know, like, and like the worst moment ever would be like on a live, a live uh, event like that. But you ever just had it kind of bottling everywhere? You know what? I'm just going to say what I think, you know, and it all comes out. Now, thankfully, I didn't have any meltdowns this week, but I did think kind of in anticipation of speaking on anger. I thought it'd be helpful a little exercise to just 
take a look and kind of write down things that just maybe irritated me a little bit, you know? So I didn't have any meltdowns. I just want to kind of see, this is, I'm not trapping you, I promise, with this exercise, but I'm just going to mention a couple of things that kind of made my list this week, and if it doesn't bother you at all, you just throw up a one, okay? If it kind of mildly irritates you, you throw up a two, so on three, it kind of annoys you, and if it just makes you like really, really mad, you can throw up a five, all right? So we're going to do just a little exercise. Maybe some of these are pet peeves for you as well, and I just kind of did an inventory this week. So uh, how about this one? When people use literally when they mean figuratively, does that bother you? Not at all. Does it bother you a whole lot? Okay, um, I literally cannot, you know? That's like the whole... Uh, most of the time, people get literally wrong, like exactly wrong. And so, yes, literally, that just irritates me just a little bit. Um, but not as much as, what about slow drivers? Slow drivers, okay, some of you, some of you, we know that's the, some of you are the ones that are like on my tailgate, like on the way in here, but slow drivers, and it's always when you're like running behind somewhere. It's like, the slow drivers just come out of the woodwork, like they're all like, okay, here, we got him, you know? It's like, I know he's got to get to that appointment, I know he's got to get to that thing, um, but slow drivers. What about, and this has been especially difficult for me this year, but what about soft talkers? Soft talkers. Now, the mask thing makes this really, really hard because you're supposed to give six feet and all this, but when somebody's whispering to me in a mask, I'm like, uh, yeah, I can't quite. So can you say that again? No, I really have. I've noticed, like, I cannot hear things very well. So when things are too soft, especially with mask covering it, and I had one this week, like, on the drive-thru, and she She's like, let me repeat your order back to you. I was like, no, 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 no. I have no, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, that, what, whatever you got, I'm taking. All right, how about this one? What about flies? Just specifically in your house, flies in your house. You're trying to take a little, it's just on your head. It's like, you know, I'm just trying to get a little rest here on the chair. Okay, this one's attached to that, but when people leave the door open, does that bother anybody else? Okay. Why, can, why do we always want to leave the door open in my house? I have no, we got plenty of flies. Like there's a big fly party going on. We don't need any more guests. Like we're trying to get them out of here. And uh, so that's just one. And then this is going to sound really random, but I thought about the other day, uh, the game shoots and ladders. It's completely arbitrary. It's like, I like this game makes, I like playing it with the kids. I'm like, I'm hitting shoots like left and right. Like, is there anything but shoots? Like where are the ladders at? And it's a very arbitrary game. I'm just pointing it out. So, uh, now, those are obviously meant to be funny, but what if you actually stopped and did an inventory of the things that really do kind of boil up inside of you? And we could, I could give a whole other list of things, right, that probably truly really do raise your temperature. And I think it's an important thing to pay attention to, as are all of these things. I love what Proverbs 16.32 says, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Now, some of you are probably sitting there like, Josh, don't worry, I'm not trying to take any cities anytime soon. You know, I'm not going to be melting down on the air. And for some of you, you kind of look through this list of things. And, okay, we're talking about stress this week. We're talking about anger this week. And you're like, that's cool. Like, I don't have an anger problem. I should be good to go on this one, right? Like, this is, you know, and I think we can kind of look at some of these things in this way. But anger, like stress, is really a formidable foe. And it has this way of building in the background like, a, like water behind a dam until it's too late. And that dam breaks loose, and then there is that moment. There is that explosion, whatever it might be, and it comes, what's on the inside surfaces in a way. And maybe you have kind of been on the receiving end of that with someone else, or maybe you yourself, you could identify in your own moment, in your own mind, a moment that you're just not so proud about because you're like, this was a moment when anger got the best of me. 
And so when it comes to anger, as with stress and some of these other things we're going to talk about in this series, it's important to size that opponent up early. Early detection is definitely better than when it's too late and when things come up over top of the top of that dam. And you know, Jesus, he really had a lot to say uh, on this topic, and I've narrowed it down to like five things I want to give you today, but I I really encourage you to kind of dig into some of Jesus' teaching, but also some of what Jesus demonstrates to us about anger and self-control. And so uh, we're going to dig in just a little bit. Let me pray for us that God would just give us a heart to receive what he wants to give us today. God, we thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you that, um, that we know that though these things are common to man uh, and they're common opponents, God, that you can help us to be reshaped in these things. And we ask that you would give us just uh, some of your direction and some of your wisdom today, uh, whatever you want us to receive, God, we pray uh, that you would speak to us on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we talk about anger, let's just look at some things that Jesus is both instructive on, but also things that he demonstrates to us about anger. And the first thing is this. We have to, first of all, know what comes from God and what doesn't. Now, what if I told you that there's actually a Bible verse that tells you to be angry? You'd be like, there's no way. There's no way. This is, there's, and yes, there's more to it. But there is a, a Bible verse that says be angry. In Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, it says, be angry and do not sin. Like, those two things can coexist, right? So anger, we can be angry and still not sin. This goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. There's actually two Greek words in the New Testament that are translated as anger. One means passion or energy, which we can see as kind of this positive attribute, this constructive trait that that accomplishes things, can actually accomplish things for God. And so, and, and then there's this other word that means agitated or boiling. You know, and you can kind of imagine what that leads to and what that becomes. And so anger, um, did I mention cell phones in church? No, I'm just kidding. Um, just had to do it. It was perfect timing. Uh, anger is a God-given emotion, right? Anger is a God-given emotion. But like any God-given emotion, it can be constructive or deconstructive. The enemy can actually use it in a way that's destructive. And many of you have seen sort of the harmful effects of anger when it has been left unchecked. Now, again, God gives us passion. He gives us this emotion. He doesn't call us to be passive or soft or apathetic, but he does call us to be self-controlled. He calls us to be self-controlled and in our anger not to sin. Now, one example, and maybe you've kind of heard this example cited before uh, when it comes to talking about anger, and Jesus himself uh, demonstrated a uh, righteous indignation. So he, he was mad, he was passionate, he was Um, frustrated about something that was going on and contrary to God and his will and his way. And so he responded, and this happened in the temple courts. He said, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and uh, others sitting at the table exchanging money. And so they're exploiting what's meant to be a constructive practice in the temple. They're exploiting this um, for their own benefit, their own gain, um, and they're exploiting the people. And so um, they're charging these exorbitant rates for things, that, and, and, and it's just out of control. And so Jesus comes in with a whip of cords, drove everybody out of the temple, the sheep, the cattle, he scattered the coins of money, turning over tables in the temple, right? Get out of here, he says, as he comes in. And that's a pretty intimidating moment, right, if you're on the other side of that moment. And his disciples remembered then that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. 
And so Jesus in this moment, he was zealous. He didn't sin in his anger, but he was angry. He had this righteous indignation um, that produced in him uh, this response. Now, righteous indignation is driven by zeal for God and his purposes, just like Jesus in this moment. Now, we're more prone to anger because destructive anger is driven by pride. It's driven by control. It's driven by our own self-interest. Or sometimes when our pride is wounded, right, it brings about an anger. When other emotions like jealousy, things like this, begin to brew in us, often these, this is what causes anger in us and, and wants us, to, you know, wants us to, to try to create this sense of retaliation or whatever it might be. And so we have to be careful to know what comes from God and what doesn't. Now, on the other hand, the passion that God gives us for things that are out of line that He wants us to respond to and that He wants us to be, um, you know, a... A, a, um, a catalyst for change on so on and so forth for his purposes that is something different and we can be angry and still not sin things can frustrate us upset us and and those emotions are from God but we have to think about how do we be constructive in that and so one other thing I'll point out here now we cite that example of Jesus cleansing the temple which he did twice um, this recorded in the gospels but there's a whole lot more instances as we'll talk about here in just a little bit where Jesus was self-controlled in moments where a lot of us, most of us, you know, probably none of us would be able to maintain self-control and restraint. And so the more common example of Jesus is when, when things were, you know, were boiling up, Jesus was very much collected and calm and in control of the situation. And what, Jesus, what made Jesus justified in this particular instance was that his heart was pure. His heart was always pure. You know, we're told not to be easily angry is what the Bible tells us. So if you are easily or consistently angry, right, hence that exercise, just, you know, it's okay to have pet peeves, but how much of that stuff is really continuing to kind of grow within you? It's okay to be angry, but are you easily angry? Are you consistently angry? Because that's an indicator of something beneath the surface, which really brings us to the second point, which is this. We have to address the heart of the matter. We have to address the heart of the matter. Jesus gives this great example in Luke 6, 43-45 when he says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So we have to address what's in here, right? We can't just address the effects of anger. And I could give you a whole list of things to do, right? I could give you, and and perhaps you know some of these different strategies. I could give you all kinds of strategies to deal with the effects of anger. And I'm not saying those strategies are bad things. I could tell you, you know, you need to just go and scream into a pillow, for example. If you're up, just go scream into a pillow. Let it all out into the pillow. Or go, you know, breathe into a bag. I I don't know, you know. Count to 10. You've heard these strategies, right? Go punch a punching bag. Like, take your aggression out on that. And those things are all well and good, but the problem is they're addressing the fruit on the tree. They're not addressing the tree. We have to address the tree. We have to address the heart first and foremost, and then employ those strategies to come alongside. And so we have to allow God to deal with the tree itself. Bob Goff, he makes this connection that I really liked. It's to pinatas. And he says this. He says, when my kids were little... I used to hang pinatas from our favorite tree in the backyard as often as possible. Sometimes we did it for their birthdays, but sometimes we just did it because it was Saturday, and what better day for a pinata than a Saturday? He said, I'd love to sneak off to the store to get a dinosaur, a unicorn, or rainbow-colored zebra. 
fill it full of candy, and two hours later, we'd be scrambling through the grass in search of Starburst. And then he says this, the more opportunities I've had to blow it as an adult, the more other people's responses have reminded me were a a lot like those pinatas from my backyard. When people erupt into fits of rage, when they're wronged or surprise us with tenderness, uh, when they know they've been hurt, we get to see what's inside of them. We see that that they're made of, we see what they're made of when they break. Hopefully it's not with a baseball bat, but at some point something will break you. We can't avoid it because we're all a little broken and we're bound to get things wrong. Someone will eventually nestle their way into your heart and then let you down. And when they do, you'll either explode in anger or you'll show a steady stream of love. Be loved so love will flow out when people fail you, just like it flowed from Jesus when he took the fall for us. Give away love like you're made of it. Let it fill you up like candy in a pinata. So when you take a hit, it's what will pour out of you. So what's inside? Are you addressing what's on the inside? Are you addressing the heart of the matter? I've been watching. I really like to watch documentaries. I love to watch these true stories of people's lives. And one that's been interesting that's just come on uh, TV just recently is the Mike Tyson documentary. I don't know if anybody's watched the Mike Tyson documentary but it's really, really interesting, and it just kind of really just lets you in on a whole different, lot of different facets of his life and his story. And um, one particular moment that I found interesting was that as a young child, you know, Mike Tyson was actually a pretty gentle child in a lot of ways. And um, they talk, the, the documentary talks about this one moment and sto- uh, story where he would, like, raise these pigeons. Like, he had this, like, affinity for, like, raising these pigeons, and he, he had this gentle touch with these animals, and he really cared for them. And one time this kid comes and takes one of those pigeons, one of the neighborhood kids, and he's begging, just let him go, don't hurt the pigeon, don't hurt the pigeon, and the kid snaps the pigeon's neck right in front of him. And he said in that moment, like, it's like just all this fury just like unleashed upon this kid. And he just, he just unleashed all this fury on this kid in this moment. And then time after time, and you, could, you see kind of throughout the documentary, different moments, different things that continue to reinforce this anger that was growing inside of him from abuse to interactions with other people, whatever it might be. And what it really shows throughout the documentary is that what we know to be true, but we don't always pay attention to, and that is this, what boils up will eventually boil over. And it does. And the moment that many of us remember is when Mike Tyson bites off Evander Holyfield's ear. And he says this about the event. He says, I was furious. I was an undisciplined soldier and I lost my composure. So I bit him in the ear. And people were pulling me and blocking me. And Holyfield was standing in his corner huddled up. And I was still trying to get at him. I had 50 people on me and I was still fighting them off, fighting off the cop. And one of the comments that somebody made in the middle of that documentary, it was maybe a reporter or something, and I thought this line was interesting. She said, he could conquer any opponent, but he could not conquer himself. And that's the truth about all of us. We cannot conquer ourselves. Only God can conquer hearts, and God can conquer the most hardened of heart, the most enraged of hearts. We have to surrender to Him. We have to surrender to His will. And so we must first address our hearts, because only God can replace a bad tree with a good tree. So rather than just addressing the fruit on the tree, we need to address the heart of the matter. The other thing we need to do is we need to continue to rehearse the consequences. We need to understand the consequences of anger. Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, He warns of the consequences of anger, uh, specifically anger that has been uninformed, unchecked, and unresolved by the Gospel. 
that when we don't let the gospel really invade our life and our heart, um, there is a danger there. And Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5. He says, You have heard that it was said uh, to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And so he's saying the consequences are real here. And he levels the playing field by saying, listen, you might not have murdered someone, but you have the seeds of sin growing inside of you just the same. And anger has this way of escalating, doesn't it? I mean, we have, it has a way of escalating quickly. Mickey Mantle, um, there's a story about Mickey Mantle that Billy Martin uh, had written in his autobiography. And he talks about time with Mickey Mantle. They were good friends. And Mickey had this friend that would let them hunt out on their ranch. And so um, they decided they were going to go out and hunt on the ranch, uh, Mickey and Billy. And so Mickey goes in to ask permission, you know, and he figures the answer is going to be yes, but he goes in and asks permission, and um, he tells Billy to wait in the car. And when he goes in and talks to his friend, his friend quickly gave him permission to hunt, but he asked Mickey to do him a favor. He said, I have this pet mule uh, in the barn who is going blind. And listen, I don't have the heart to put him down, put him out of his misery. But before you go out and go hunting, can you put that mule down for me? So Mickey agreed to do it. And when he got back into the car, he decided he'd play a little, have a little fun with his friends. So he get back in the car, he just acts like he's just so angry, so mad. He's scowling, he's slamming the door. And Billy's like, what's, what's wrong? And Mickey said his friend wouldn't let them hunt. And, and then Mickey is like, listen, I'm so mad at that guy right now. I'm going to go out to his barn right now. I'm going to shoot one of his mules. And so Mantle, he drove like a maniac out to that, that barn. And, and Billy Martin, he's protesting. He's like, we can't do that. But Mickey was adamant. He said, just watch me. He goes running out. He gets into that barn. He jumps out of the car with his rifle, ran inside, and he shot the mule. Shortly after that, he makes his way back out of the barn as he's hearing two shots ring out from like behind him. And as he heard those two shots, he ran back over to the car. And he saw Martin had taken out his rifle too. What are you doing, Martin? He yelled. Martin yelled back, red-faced with anger, we'll show that son of a gun, I just killed two of his cows. Well, that escalated quickly, right? And anger has this way of having sometimes unintended consequences, right? It carries these long-term consequences. We do things that we never thought that we would do. We say things that we never thought that we would say. And these seeds of anger have a way of sort of infiltrating other people and spreading to other people in our life. Paul warns... uh, warns us of what happens if we don't control our anger. He says, he says, listen, I fear that perhaps when I come to you, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, and disorder among you. So he's warning the church in particular, like, I don't want to come and find these things at work in you. And he, gives, he tells the Colossians, he gives them very, you know, very strict language when he says, put it to death. This is part of their old depraved self. He says, but you must now put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. And then he shows us too, Paul, to the Galatians, shows us that it actually, anger and malice unchecked and, 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 um, and unhealthy has this way of working in opposition to the things of the kingdom of God. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, and then right there in the middle of that list, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things work in opposition to the kingdom. So we need to understand what this anger is producing and the consequences. And, and it helps us to rehearse those consequences in advance of being in that moment when our anger wants to boil over. Number four, we need to develop and demonstrate restraints. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Jesus instructs on the power of self-restraint. Listen to these words. I mean, listen to what he is telling us to do here. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. I mean, did you hear what he's asking us there? I mean, how, how many of you are like, that comes natural to me? I mean, are you serious? You want us to love, not our friends, you want us to love our enemies? You want us to do good to the ones that actually hate us? You want us to bless the ones that curse us? You want us to pray for those who mistreat us? And then listen to this, it goes on. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. Also, wait a minute. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to anyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. I don't know about you, but I find it easier, more natural, and often more gratifying, at least in the moment, to retaliate. To do the opposite of what that scripture says. But the life-giving decision here is what Jesus is pointing out to us. You want to find the life-giving decision. It's harder in the moment. But if you want to find the decision that leads to life, do as Jesus instructs here. Do good to those who hate you. And often, in the moment, the best thing to do, especially if you don't know what to do, especially if you know that you can kind of feel that welling up inside of you in that moment, Likely, if that emotion is boiling hot, it's not the best time to say something. Some of you are very sharp in those moments. You're really witty. You get really witty in those moments, right? But you say things that you probably shouldn't say in those moments. And so often the best thing to do is to just take a breath and to say nothing. I wish I was as tactful as Jesus sometimes. He's in these moments when he could absolutely be constantly provoked. They're constantly picking at him. They're constantly giving him reason to, and he's smarter than anybody in the room. So if anybody could just out, and he often does, just outwit them. But if, if he could just kind of give them a really sarcastic comment and put them in their place, Jesus could do it. He could do it over and over again. Yet often he just very gently like asks a question. You know, that makes them ponder. That totally just like turns their world upside down. They're like, huh, we'll get back to you on that. You know, like well, it's amazing the kind of attack that he demonstrated. I wish I could demonstrate that kind of attack. Often the best thing to do is to say, it's to say is to say nothing. Often the best thing to do is to let it go, right? As much as like, no, I got, I'm going to have to address this one. I'm going to have to weigh in on this one. I'm going to have to say something about this one, you know? Give it a minute. If you still feel that way after you've kind of taken some time away from it, likely what you're going to say is going to be more constructive after you've taken some time to really consider, to pray through it, to think about it, right? We're not as good on the spot as Jesus is. But here's the truth. If we don't master our emotions... Our emotions will have a way of mastering us. They absolutely will. If we don't conquer our anger, just like we saw in the Mike Tyson example, our anger will ultimately conquer us. And to give you another reason to do this, what about the character of God? I mean, we read that God is slow to anger and abounding in love, and Jesus demonstrates this over and over again. Not because he's weak, but because he's really, really strong. 
because he has a strength that none of us have. And it's not his weakness when he's showing restraint, when he's holding back. I mean, he could reduce all these guys to ashes when they're picking at him. Like, you know what, guys, I've had enough. Boom. You know, ashes. Like, that's, he could do that. But he doesn't. He shows restraint. And he gives us a visible demonstration of what it looks like that God is slow to anger, bounding love. And I sometimes wonder how I would handle some of these situations. If I'm like walking along with Jesus, these moments are like, I, you know, how would I handle as I'm, I'm, these, these situations? And Peter, he oftentimes lets his emotions get the best of him. And we see one moment in particular when any one of our emotions would probably be similar to what Peter's was. The moment when Jesus is arrested and what's Peter doing? He's got his knife off. He's slicing off a guy's ear. You know, he's like, Let's go. We're going we're gonna to fight. Let's fight. You know, you're going to take him in. I'm right here. And I don't know what his expectation was of what Jesus would be like, you know, rolling up his sleeves too. Like, all right, we're gonna, here we go. We're going to have a fight. But he doesn't, does he? Instead, what he tells Peter is he says, listen, put your sword away. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given? He knew his purpose. He knew what he was there for. He was in control of that moment. And he shows this incredible strength displayed through restraint. He doesn't just call us to restraint. He shows us at every turn. There's so many examples we can talk about. So what does it look like for you to de- develop and demonstrate restraint? The last thing, and, and this is, I don't want this just to kind of brush past you because you've probably heard it before. You probably expect it in an anger message or when we're talking about forgiveness. So don't just let it run past you. I want you to actually think about your life when you think about this point. Don't leave anger unresolved. Now, how many of you at any level, it could be a kind of a minor irritation or annoyance or whatever it might be, or you've let some anger just continue to grow in you for a long time. And maybe there's one particular person that if like we brought up their name, you'd be like, you'd feel your just blood pressure start to kind of boil up and you'd, you'd recall a moment where they wounded you in some way. Or some, and I'm not saying those things, those feelings aren't there for a reason and those wounds weren't real. I'm not devaluing that. But we have to think about what is that anger doing to us? It's rotting us from the inside out as this way of eating away at us little by little. And again, in the example of Jesus here, we, should, we see just this incredible model for us of a person who has every reason to hold a grudge, every reason to be bitter, every reason to be frustrated. And we see, just like Paul tells us in that passage we read earlier, Rather than letting anger go unresolved, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. You know, we, we could go through all this whole sermon series about, hey, cool, good principles, I like it. Or you could actually sit with it and think, man, is there some anger that's a reality for me right now? What if I actually stopped and addressed this? What if I made a phone call? What if I worked through this in some way? And, and for some of you, I think that's exactly what you need to do. You need to think about, how do I need to respond and not let another sun go down while you're still angry because the devil has a foothold in your life? And I just love the example of Jesus. I mean, just imagine our Savior as he's marching up to that cross. He's getting spit on. He's getting flogged. His flesh opened wide open. Still demonstrating restraint. Still modeling humility walking up onto that hill, spit on, beaten, rejected. What are his words to his aggressors? To those who he knew were about to murder him unjustly. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. 
that's all of us. That's all of us this morning. All of us have turned our back in the same way. All of us have, in one way or another, we've rejected Him. And He looks at us through eyes of compassion. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We have the ability to take hold of that forgiveness. There's a story that's told about a young man who was getting ready to graduate from college. Maybe you've heard this story before. His dad said, for your graduation, I'm going to buy you a new car. So they went together. They went out to pick that perfect car out. It was everything that the boy had dreamed of. He was so excited about getting this car. And his dad said, hey, listen, we'll just wait and see. When your graduation finally comes, we'll wait and see. And uh, so his dad, come graduation day, is like just looking at his son. He's just letting him know, hey, I'm just so proud of you. And he hands him this gift, this beautifully wrapped gift box. And the boy was a little curious. He's like, this doesn't look like a car. And inside the box, he opened it up, and he found this leather-bound Bible. And his reaction was be frustrated, to be upset, to be furious. And he yelled, he said, with all your money, you gave me a Bible? Storms out of the house. You know that that boy was so hard-hearted that he totally separated from his father after that. No visits, no phone calls, no Christmas cards. That is until he got word that his father had passed away, left all of his possessions to him. So he went home to work out the details. When he got to his father's house, he found something found himself to be unexpectedly just really sad and remorseful and just broken. And he began to search through his father's important papers and he came across that Bible just as it was left many years ago. And with tears, he opened up that Bible and he began to turn the pages and he saw this scripture that was highlighted specifically for him that said that his father had carefully marked, and if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father, which is in heaven, give give to those who ask him. And as he read those words, a cashier's check fell from the back of the Bible. It was written to the dealer the exact amount of that car. All these years, so many memories missed, so many blessings gone. And worst of all, a son who never got to know the true heart of his father. May we not not let unhealthy anger and unforgiveness take residence on our island. We have to vote it off. It doesn't move us forward. It only holds us back. Whether that anger is at someone else, maybe that anger is at God. You you haven't really known the heart of your heavenly Father. And maybe it's time to really sit down and resolve that and to to deal with what's going on inside. I love what Peter tells us. And I think that this would be something we could just bury in our hearts and our minds. It's definitely easier to, to think about than to actually live out. But... This is our call. This is what we're challenged to do. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And friends, that's what I want for you. I want you to experience that kind of life, a life that is not hindered by things like anger, like stress, but that you could truly lean into and live the kind of life that God has for you. And it's the kind of life that when all the dust settles, Things like anger, we're going to talk, we talked about stress, financial pressure, busyness, all these things we're going to be talking about have been voted off the, off the island, though they tried to conquer you. And at the end of the day, that love would be the thing that's still standing in your life. Why? Because the greatest of these, may love be the ultimate survivor of hearts in our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you that we don't have to imagine what love looks like. We don't have to imagine what forgiveness looks like. 
We don't have to imagine what self-control looks like. God, you are the author of it, and you have demonstrated to us exactly what it looks like. And I know these things are unnatural. I know these things don't come.